This podcast contains discussions about mental health and may contain discussions about suicide and self-harm. If you or somebody that you know is experiencing distress or is in immediate danger, dial triple O or call Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Also, if you believe that someone you love is experiencing a mental health issue, please encourage them to go and talk to their GP as soon as possible. Thanks very much for listening. Hello folks and welcome to episode 64 of our How You Go Mate podcast. This is the sixth take for the intro. <laughs> oh man, sometimes these intros just come out and sometimes they don't. And this is one of those ones where they don't come, where it hasn't come easy. Uh, my name is Adam, welcome to the How You Go Mate podcast. If you haven't listened to How You Go Mate before, How You Go Mate before, this is a, a, a podcast where we talk about mental health and well-being. More importantly, we talk about how we manage our mental health and well-being and most importantly, we talk about this so that other people might hear um, someone else's story and feel like they're not as alone. One of the things that we, uh, one of the things we know is that when when our mental health is poor, um, we tend to isolate and disconnect ourselves. Sometimes we attempt to hide our mental health and what and, and what's happening for us, and other times we just completely disconnect from the people around us. And um, part of the reason we do that is because of shame, fear, vulnerability, a whole range of factors. We think it's self stigma. Um, and, and that idea that you're going to be treated differently or, or discriminated against because of your mental health issue. So ideally what we want you to do is um, what we want people to do is listen to this and hopefully hear someone else's story and then hopefully not feel as alone. Uh, that being said, a couple of really great pieces of feedback during the week for previous guests. Of course, a big thank you to Amy for coming on last week and sharing her story. It was a fantastic episode a really incredible story. Got a really great piece of feedback from a long-term listener who said, simply, can you have someone like Amy on every episode? Because she was incredible. Uh, and, of course, we got some really great feedback about Laura a few weeks back, but um, we keep getting feedback about Laura. Uh, one of our other long-term listeners sent me a message and said, I'm 20 minutes into Laura's episode, uh, and it's so close to my story that her story is so close to my story that it's making me uncomfortable. I love it. Thank you. And and again, that's the idea that somebody hears something of themselves in that, and hopefully, hopefully, it's an opportunity to um to to start taking control of your mental health and to start managing your well being. And that's that's honestly that's the goal. So having said all of that, this week's episode is really interesting because uh, this week's episode is with Jan, and Jan has a, a couple of distinctions. Um, so Jan is our very first ever multi generational guest. Um, Two of Jan's sons, Craig, one of my very best friends, and, and Mikey, another one of my very good friends, um, are her sons, and they've both been on uh, episodes of the podcast. Uh, Craig was like the second guest, and, and Mikey wasn't too far behind that. Um, Craig talked about sort of uh, transitioning from being in a sporting environment and, and, and how that you know how that transition affected him in his life, and Mike talked about um, men and mental health. Uh, and, and of course, uh, Craig's wife, Eliza, has also been uh, on a couple of episodes on our podcast. Uh, of course, her Spice Girl story, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to Spice Up Your Life. But of course, Eliza does some fantastic work with um, young mums in the Sutherland Shire area. She started a, a Facebook community group for, for young mums that are kind of, you know, just need some help and support. Uh, of course, being a new parent can be really daunting and 
And of course, we, you know, just the actual fact of being a parent can be daunting. But then when we throw in things like postnatal depression and anxiety, um, then of course that um, makes it all that more hard to, to, to manage and deal with. So, um, you know, really fantastic initiative. And she won a community award for that last year as well, which is great to see. But our guest today is the matriarch of the family, if you will, which is Jan. And um, Jan last year, and I, uh, we'll, we'll obviously tell Jan's story in the episode, but Jan last year was diagnosed with leukemia. The diagnosis coincided with the very beginning of the pandemic, um, the coronavirus pandemic, and also coincided with uh, the birth of uh, Craig and Eliza's second son. And so there was this incredible mixture and melting pot of things happening at the time. And <clears throat> to be perfectly honest, every so often what you get to see with people with managing their mental health is people put on a masterclass of how to be strong. And I've seen that a couple of times in, in various situations. And Jan Clark is certainly somebody I would put into that list. You know, this is a woman who just managed her her, her physical diagnosis with such strength and grace and power. And I was always, I had a couple of chats with her over the sort of the last 12 or 18 months or so about this, but I was always just really interested to sort of get into how did she manage that? How did she manage her mental health in that situation? How did she continue to, you know, just press forward and, and, and fight this cancer diagnosis, this leukemia diagnosis? And, and what, what, were, what, what were her secrets? What were the tips that she could give? Now, the other thing is, is and you'll hear in the episode, Jan is now in remission. The other thing is, is Jan is now supporting another lady who's in a very similar position to her with the leukemia diagnosis. And you, you'll hear a little bit about that in the episode. And and really, you know, just how incredibly amazing that is to be able to, A, go through all of this, but also, B, then go on and support other people uh, and to manage their mental health and to manage their physical well-being through um, such a such a testing time so it's a really interesting episode uh, it's a great chat I really love talking to Jan she's always really good value to sit and have a chat to at a party um, you'll hear about strength you'll hear about family you'll hear about the importance of just getting on with the job and doing what you need to do to get through it um, and most importantly you're just going to hear a really cracking story so without further ado let's ask Jan the question Jan how you going mate I am going fantastic. Now the beauty of this, now the beauty of this is that you are, in fact, my first intergenerational guest. The first, well, the first two generational guests. So we've had both of your sons and your daughter-in-law on the podcast, and you're the first, first parent. You're the first second generation. Like to be the first of things these days. Yes, yes, yes. I'm up for anything. Yes. And and yeah, and it's 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 really interesting. So, um, so I guess people will listen to this and they'll to give them a bit of an understanding about who you are. Give us uh-huh. the give us the Jan story in in fifty words or less. Fifty words or 50 less. Fifty but... words or less. Okay, no, that's really easy. So yeah, look, I'm Jan Clark to everybody these days, but I'm really called Jeanette Clark. I just clarify that because um, for twelve months in hospital. You know, they call you by your proper name. So, mm. um, yeah, look, mother of three sons. Um, last year was traumatic in that I had just returned from Abu Dhabi, three weeks in Abu Dhabi with my son David and his family, and um, 
had noticed some symptoms while I was away. Um, kind of my husband kept noticing that I had bruises on my body in, in places where like around my, my tummy and up under my arms mm. that I wouldn't necessarily have bumped myself on anything. Um, but also prior to going on overseas, as you do, I'd gone and got medical checks and dentists and I had bleeding gums and um, that didn't sort of settle down. So, but going on holidays, uh, overseas trips don't come so easily to me, but I was very excited to go to see David and, mm. you know, his wife was coming out here to Australia. Uh, we were going to help look after the children and, and that was like a carrot dangled in front of me. Um, I did have to talk Les into being a good idea because Abu Dhabi is a very different world, very different mm. country. Mm. Um, I didn't even think about it, Adam. I I, uh, I just wanted to be with David and the children. Mm. And, um, yeah, so, you know, sort of two weeks into the, 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 the time there um, was wonderful, but um, Les continually mentioned about the bruises and I'm going, oh, look, I've just bumped into something. Uh, don't ask me what made me think to do it. Um, I'm not one for hiding behind things or not not checking them. So I actually one morning Googled, Dr. Google. Yeah. I just put in there um, unexplained bruises. And <laughs> I'm not very good at Google. I never know the questions to ask Dr. Google or Mr. Yeah. Google. Yeah. Um, and this one came up with five answers. And kind of read down the, the screed and the last one said, if you have unexplained bruises and bleeding gums, it's likely to be um, a cancer of, of some type in your blood. Mm. And I was a bit stunned. Yeah. But we still had like a week to go uh, before we could we would fly home. I knew if I told Les, he, he wouldn't cope with that very well. It was bit startling. I I just blotted it out of my head. I just I didn't want to alert anyone that I you know was had something wrong over there. I didn't want to be in Abu Dhabi. Mm. I wanted to enjoy the rest of the time. All I felt was tired. Mm. The the none of those symptoms other than tiredness and I figured that was because um you know we were driving the children to school or picking them up and yeah. it was just the most magical time. Um, seeing them on videos is one thing, but living in the house with them was just the most beautiful experience. Mm. We did get to see some some bits and pieces. Um, I thought the place was absolutely magical. Mm. Um, very mindful. I guess I was a little bit nervous, Adam, being in a place where David had warned us about not holding hands or, or kissing or whatever, but that, you know, we still wandered around, mm. covered up modestly. Nothing. No, everybody was kind and generous and... Mm. So um, just before we were about to leave there, we had heard about COVID. Didn't really take much notice that there was a case not about 30 kilometres away from David. Um, got to the airport to get on the plane. Was amazed that the plane uh, was so full when we got on the plane mm. and that a lot of people had masks. Mm. I didn't think about it. I didn't think any more about what was wrong with me other than we're on the plane, we're going home, I'll sort it out when I get home. And as you know, um, uh, you and Barb and Craig and I went to see Arndo yeah. one night, I think the night before I got the diagnosis. Yeah. I had something planned for every night that I got home from holidays, so going to the doctors was put off for a week. Mm. 
didn't 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 even think about it and um I look back on it now and I'm surprised at how I dealt with it I'm a, a bit of a warrior I get a bit anxious about things I don't know um I actually met my daughter on the next morning and minded my grandson Thomas mm. while she went to the doctors and then I'd already been to the doctors my doctor the afternoon of the Ando show and he didn't say too much, but the next morning called me and asked me where I was. And I said, I was at Westfields. And he said, I need to see you straight away. And I went, well, I can't come straight away because, you know, I'm waiting for, for Tijan. Yeah. And um, he said, well, get here as soon as you can. So I said, fine. Yeah. Didn't even put more into it other than just ringing Les saying, look, you know, the doctor wants to see me straight away. And to add to this story is that when I came back from overseas, I had a nasty cough. Mm. And so Les is saying, look, I bet you've got COVID. Um, how about, you know, drop Tish off when you finish, come home, pick me up, and we'll go to the doctors together. And mm. He was supposed to work and he cancelled work, which, you know, that's, for Les that was, I think he took what I'd said pretty seriously. Mm. And um, I swung home, picked him up, went to the doctors and wasn't even alerted when the, the receptionist said, the doctor will be with you soon, and she took me and Les and I into a separate room, not like in amongst all of the patients, which is not the norm. Mm. And then um, Dr. Berger called me in and we sat there and I thought, but Les had had me convinced that I just had coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> and this which, day, I, yeah. Which looking back would have been preferable now. <laughs> Yes. Oh, Adam, absolutely. I think, I think that you, it's so true that, um, yeah, but, um, and I, I apologize to Dr. Berger every time I see him now and say, I'm really sorry you had to give me that diagnosis, but that's exactly what he said was, I'm sorry, but I've got some bad news and you've got leukemia. And, that's oh. you know what that sums you up in a word in a, in a sentence here. You're apologising to the doctor for making him <laughs> feel bad. Well, can you imagine how he must have felt? Yeah, I know, could absolutely. Yeah, you know, to give somebody this, and, and I'm just sitting there. I, I I didn't burst into tears. I didn't do anything that 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 the Jan would normally do. Yeah, I don't know. It was it was just confirmation of what I'd already guessed. Yeah. Um. Yeah. By that time, I had to. You know, I told Les that I'd looked it all up and he just said, well, why didn't you tell me? And I said, well, I didn't think that you could cope with it while we were away and all I needed was the strength to get us on the plane. He said, you must have told David because, you know, David and I are so close and we talk yeah. about anything. I said, no, I didn't tell anybody. Wow. He said, how could you keep it to yourself? And I said, well, I don't really know except I didn't, I didn't allow myself that because I wouldn't have been able to do what we did, get on the plane, get home, yeah. all of those things. I thought, oh, Maybe it wasn't so bad, but yeah, leukemia was a pretty scary word to me. And um, he just said, you know, he gave me a letter and said that I needed to go immediately to Liverpool Hospital. Mm. And um, history sort of popped up at me, which was strange, but my dad's twin brother died of leukemia mm. in, uh, very young. And I didn't know a lot of details about it, except that it was leukemia. Mm. Um, and, and being the vain creature that I am, um, and you, you'll hear that later when I say that I lost my hair. All I'm saying to Liz, I knew this would happen. I meant to wash my hair before I went out this morning. <laughs> and he um, said, look, don't worry. We'll go home. I'll make you a cup of coffee and a biscuit. You can go and have a shower. 
and and I'll ring the boys. And I said, all right. And strange for me to let Les ring the boys because it would normally be me, but I thought that was a good thing to do. And um, and yet successively Les then rang overseas to David and to the boys and then he put me on and, you know, they were they were stunned. They had no idea. And I think I handled it pretty well. I, I they were upset, but I just I don't know. I don't don't know whether I was stunned or what it was, or that it wasn't such a surprise to me. Do you, yeah, do you almost feel like you you sort of braced yourself already? You'd prepared yourself. That's a really good word, Adam. That's exactly what I did. Um, and and I'm the one who takes care of them. And um, and I, I again I was doing that so. Talked to them all, and then the hardest one was to ring my best friend Margaret, mm. and of course she was stunned and in tears. And I guess by that time I got a few tears out, but no, nah, that's fine. I've got to go and pack my bag, and it was all a bit surreal. I think mm. I didn't think about what it was. Uh, I didn't feel sick. I just had this annoying cough. Um, I was tired, and you know I, I didn't know how long I'd had it. I thought I'd ask those questions. Mm. And so Les took me to Liverpool Hospital. We sat in the waiting room and that's, you know, that's not a pleasant thing to do. No. And then the journey started. They took me in. They had my letter. Um, yeah, then they, I kept getting feedback about that I had my, my white cell count was almost non-existent. Mm. So that's why at the surgery they put me in a separate room why, when I got to the hospital, they put me into a an isolation room. I now know the significance um, that I, I had no immunity whatsoever, and right. I'm wondering why I was walking around tired and catching planes and and with a cough and all those. And of the things. cough, yeah. yeah, yeah. But the cough turned out to be I had pneumonia, and wow. yeah, so it wasn't COVID; it was pneumonia. So unfortunately, I had leukemia and pneumonia all at the same time. So no wonder I was tired. And um, that, I mean, that, yeah. just to, to kind of then just I don't know, you've you've already probably processed this, but for people that are listening, you've you've got it's the beginning of the corona epidemic. We, we're at the very early stages. You've just been diagnosed with leukemia, and on top of that, you've got pneumonia. Um, yes. So the good news in all of this is you don't have COVID. <laughs> That's great, yes. but but you've got yes. all this other stuff. Yeah, I just, um, I think I was overwhelmed by it. Les was, uh, yeah, you know, very stunned by it. I kept worrying about the boys. Yeah. And so, you know, they put me in isolation in, in the emergency room. Um, yeah, that was that was a, a, a scary thing. There were people on drugs and calling out through the night. And mm. when I want to go to the bathroom, I had to be escorted down there so I was safe. And mm. in the end, I just said to Les, you know, go home and, and um you know, they'd wait for a bed. So that started the journey for the next seven days where I got to uh, taken to the to the right ward, met Dr. Bryant, who was just my lifesaver, and um, and my team. So his his team is about ten doctors and I had that attention non stop all day and I guess um, yeah, explaining to me exactly what was wrong with me, mm. what they could offer, mm. what they could do, but that it would take time to take measurements and tests and and uh, I had to have a lumbar um, puncture mm. in, in my spine to, to see how that was. 
All of the scary things, Adam, is all I can say is everything that everyone else had mentioned to me, they all were described with pain and discomfort and horrible things. And that wasn't how I was being treated. The, the lumbar puncture was, was unpleasant, but well done. And um, yeah, it wasn't so bad. At the, after each process, um, x-rays, and then I'd say, well, that wasn't so bad. You know, the, 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 the thought process I didn't match up to the actual process, but yeah. The biggest challenge was the doctor wouldn't let me go home, even though he wasn't going to start treatment for seven days because I had no immunity. He couldn't uh, let me come out into the wide world mm. and catch coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. So that was a bit stunning. I, I thought he'd just diagnose me and let me go home. But um, yeah, then the hard thing is Dr. Bryant told me two options I could take. Mm. And one of them was um, the very strongest called a, a four and three of chemo, where it's um, very, very severe, very, very strong, lasts over seven days. And uh, there was a 20% chance that I could die because my body wouldn't cope with it. Mm. Or the option could be was I would could take um, medication for the next year to maybe three and and have it under control or have a, a moderate life out of it. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the, yeah, I, yeah. I, I remember at the time having a conversation with Craig and and him saying, you know, these are the two two options. Yes, yes. Um, and I and think I think most of us would think it would be pretty. You know, you'd take option one. You'd okay. Let's throw everything yes. at this. Is that was that your immediate thought or? Option one was the only option for me. I didn't waver. I didn't doubt. The yeah. only thing, Adam, I didn't want Les or the boys to feel that should I take the strongest option, if something happened, I never wanted them to ever feel responsible or be sorry that they made the decision. So I made it clear to all of them that when the decision was made, it would be the one that I'd chosen. And... I've always joked about I'm going to live to be 100, so <laughs> going home and just having a palliative-type uh, existence just didn't fit my my plans. Yeah. And um, and and the, everyone accepted it. Craig, uh, when he came in, the doctor, you know, took them aside and then explained to them exactly what it was. And actually it was very upsetting, but Craig, being my baby son, was the one who said, Mum... Um, can't you just take the tablets? You're well now. You look well. Mm. You're you're okay. Can't you just do that? Mm. And I was surprised. I was very proud of him because he actually spoke up and said what he did. Um, Michael was of a different mind because uh, we had had a few conversations and he mm. knows I'm fairly strong in things. David, of course, was overseas and he had to be guided by everyone else. Mm. Les looked like he'd like me to just take the easier option, but he made it very clear that he supported whatever I wanted to do. Um, so I thought that would be a done deal. I just said to Craig, I'm sorry, but I have to do what I have to do. Yeah. Then my biggest challenge was I'd spent the weekend in hospital and a locum came in, Dr. Alice. She explained to me that 65 was normally the cutoff point for them giving anybody yeah. this strong dose because... Um, it does terrible things to your body and mm. I, I might not survive. And that was a real stunner because I'm 70 
and she's telling me that, you know, I might not get to make the decision that Dr. Bryant will just go, well, you know, you're, you're, 60, you're 70 and 65 is it. And she, she kind of softened the blow a bit because I got a bit challenging to her and I said, well, you know, I'm a very fit and healthy person. You yeah. know, I walk 5Ks and, and I do exercises and go to the gym. And so probably she did me a good favour because that was the Sunday night she told me that, but I had all night to think about it. And when I saw him on the Monday, um, he sort of said, um, hop off the bed and we'll just go out onto the balcony and, you know, we can talk privately. But what he was actually doing was seeing how active I could be, that I didn't have a stick or a cane or anything, that I really was as healthy and well as I had said I was. And I found that out later that he was sort of just checking that, yes. And um, so I just said to him, look, I'm not wavering. This is the path that I want. Um, Adam, they also mentioned things like um, I could have stem cell and uh, we would go down the path of mm. I don't have any brothers or sisters, um, that I could get the boys to um, to be tested to see mm. if they could be a match. And, and, of course, David being overseas wasn't, wasn't in there, but... Michael and Craig, of course, they would have given me a leg, I think, if, if oh, I yeah. needed a leg. Yeah. So they were absolutely gorgeous. Um, but I was very lucky because I just said to Dr. Brian on the Monday, I've decided which way I want to go and is that okay with you? And he went, well, yes, and, um, you know, we'll start on Wednesday. So it was like I'd built myself up all night on the Sunday night to have yeah. an argument with him. <laughs> but um, I think that I had probably shown him that, you know, that's – um, look, I did allow for the 20% where I could die, mm. but I couldn't imagine my life at home mm. not um, not being as active as I wanted to be, not being with the grandchildren, all of those things. So I guess like I blotted it out when I was overseas, when I thought there was something wrong, I just I pretty much did that the whole way through. I just didn't allow the negative side of things to come in. It just... I didn't think about them. I didn't dwell on them. I didn't worry about them. My biggest thing was that I was hurting my family mm. and I was putting them through a terrible, terrible time. Mm. And, um, you know, with with corona, it, it, it meant that I had to be in isolation. Um, mm. When you're having chemo after the seven days, you have no white cells whatsoever. Mm. And in my case, I hadn't got many to start with, so... Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, look, the boys were wonderful. Craig did have a, a, a pregnant wife. Um, Michael was wonderful. You know, they, they were actually ringing each other, the three boys, and checking on each other. Mm. Um, I got to see Les. Um, so my my visitors were very much limited because they couldn't afford any infection. So mm. from being a very social and active person, I think that was really, really hard to take. Mm. Um you know, being in a in a room on your own, everybody coming in garbed and all the rest of it. So I didn't really know what the next nine months was going to be like, and I I didn't even think about that. All I needed to do was get through that first cycle, mm. and the doctor didn't really tell me what the follow up cycles would be. It was important to find out um, what they do in the seven days is give you the the chemo and it kills everything off. Mm -hmm. You are in a very vulnerable state. As I said, unfortunately, I also had pneumonia. And I think the pneumonia made me sicker than having leukemia. Mm. And um, 
And then the challenge was they couldn't find out what kind of pneumonia I had. So I was given so many different um, antibiotics. Um, as I say, the team, I only had to say I had a sore throat and there was something to fix that or I'd come out in a rash, there was something to fix that. And, and of course, then progressively, within, after this, as the seven days went on, I started to lose my lovely long blonde hair. Yeah. That was... Um, that broke my heart. Yeah, yeah it was, I, your I, hair. Your hair was kind of iconic. Like it was kind of like that's that's <laughs> what people was. knew of you. <laughs> yes, it had been such a big part of me for so long, long mm. and blonde and mm. um, yeah. When it started to come out, it was a bit weird, a bit mm. strange and streaky. Mm. And uh, you know, of course, when you're in there, you get social workers and you get therapists talking to you. And the social worker had the most beautiful long blonde plait you've ever seen. Mm. And here she is saying, uh, you know, Janet, it's much better for you if you cut it off or shave it off. And I'm going, hmm, well, that's coming from you. <laughs> I, I will if you will. <laughs> yeah, she was right. So Les brought some scissors in and we gave me a, oh. a haircut, a short haircut, oh, no. um, just for the fun of it. But, of course, that only lasted 24 hours and then the rest of it was coming out. So yeah. poor Les. Had to shave my head. We couldn't get a hairdresser. We couldn't get a nurse. No. We asked around. No. Nah. And with, with the coronavirus, like back then, yeah. it was limiting who could come and visit and who could, who you could see. Mm. So, um, yeah, so that started my bald stages. But, uh, again, it, I put it into perspective. I thought that was going to be the worst thing in my life, but it wasn't. And um, so the way the chemo works, it, it goes for seven days and then you're on a 28-day cycle. Mm. So within the seven days, you lose all of your white cells. Mm. And then hopefully, as you progress, the white cells start to come back in. But And I know all the, the measurements because I ask questions all the time mm. what they were doing when they were doing it, was that after 28 days, um, you should notice that your own white cells are starting to come back. My... My added problem was the white cells that I had um, were not normal ones anyway, as, as well as being low. They were like little Pac-Men. They came out with funny heads. They weren't the right shape. So mm. that was the concern that maybe they'd come back and they wouldn't uh, regenerate properly. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I, there was too much to think about, Adam, for me to uh, be sad, be um yeah thinking all i wanted was the future all i planned was the future i didn't i didn't think about anything else i kept worrying about my sons and my husband um but i was you know that the pneumonia was just terrible it really floored me yeah so you know les would come in and say come on i'll take you for a walk around the ward and i was attached permanently to a um some fluids. Yep. Um, if, it, if it wasn't fluids, they were giving me blood or they were giving me plasma or mm. vitamin K. Um, and I should digress in, in the way that you get the chemo and the way you do your bloods is they actually um, insert a thing called a pick mm-hmm. into your arm that actually is a, a cord threaded through into your veins. And so I guess that was a bit... Um, traumatic, but yeah. again, I just had that done, and I had it done in my arm to start with, and so they just attached it, had like two, like udders, like a cow's udder mm. attached, 
And so they just hooked me up to that so they could give me antibiotics, they could take blood. They they weren't putting um, cannulas in my arm, which mm. was a blessing. Mm. Um, so, the, yeah, it was... The thing, I learned, my... the thing I learned about chemo treatment as well that I never knew, um, yeah. we had Matt on the podcast and, and he had the chemo for, um, for his... Um, he had ended up having bowel cancer and then a and then a bout of lung cancer as well, which he's survived oh. both. He's in he's in remission for both. But he yeah. was saying that um, the chemo team basically said, "Okay, when you go to the toilet, if you um, wee on the floor, you need to treat that wee as a toxic spill. It's a hazarded spill, yes. and you need to yes, call I, us straight Adam, away." Adam, I had forgotten that, but you're right. <laughs> I was blown. I never knew that. <laughs> No, no, it was. I'd forgotten that bit, but yes, it, it, it. Um, I had to be super careful. And Les was taking my um jammies and things home, and he had to wash them separately. He wasn't yeah. allowed to touch them. Yes, if you went to the bathroom, um, yeah, it. Uh, the cleaner would come in and clean my room, which was an isolation room, very differently and very separately. But it'd be interesting to talk to Matt. Um, I built myself up to when the chemo goes, something traumatic is going to happen. And I got Les to come in when they hooked it up and he held my hand and they, they garbed up, they, they, you know, they double garb with, with lots of clothing, the nurses. And then next minute she just put this hook into my pick and that was it. Mm. And Les and I are looking at each other going, well, you know, is this it? Is this what's happening? <laughs> it's like just, an anticlimax, isn't it? An anticlimax, yes, yes, yes. It'd be good talking to Matt and seeing what he thought. But, um, but you know, for everything that can go wrong in your chemo treatment, like, you know, you're going to be sick or you're going to get a fever, they had medication that they gave me to preempt um, anything like that. And, uh, yeah, the care that you get nowadays... I've subsequently found that my dad's twin brother was only 34 mm. when he died and he only was diagnosed three weeks before he died. And so there was no chemo treatment like I have back then. That's 68 years ago. Mm. Can mm. you believe that, that in 68 years my life was saved because of people coming up with the answers and they didn't yeah. have the answers then? So yeah. I'm, I just, I'm blown away with that. It's, um, you know, yeah, look I through this process it's just family and friends getting you through it's just um everybody kept saying i was brave but i didn't think i was brave i was just marking time until those little white cells started to come back and they're called neutrophils mm. and um yeah i i try not to dwell on that the journey now um but but yeah it it was hard it's it, it's an interesting thing, and I, I have this conversation with people about it all the time, and I've, I've spoken to a few people about the fact that we're going to do this, and and I mean, when you really, when we spoke just before we started recording, obviously, but when you really think about it, I mean, it was the beginning of a, a global pandemic, which for a lot of us that did our head in to start with, and we didn't know yes. what that thing was going to look like. Yes, you've got, you've just been diagnosed with leukemia. They've told you, look, we're going to give you this thing, but because you're seventy, it it, it you know, it could kill you. I mean, my take on that is also you're going to die anyway, so let's have a crack at it. But, yes. um, you yes. know, um, 
and and you know you've got a son overseas you've got a, another son who's about to have you know or his wife's about to have a baby so there's yes. all of these things happening and i mean I know um, bravery is probably not the right word, but there, and, and I know off air you said you don't know how, but there is an incredible mental strength there that got you through that. And I'm really like, Thank where you. does that come from? <laughs> you know, where, like, is um, it is it simply just you went, you know, I've got to just do this. I don't have a choice. Uh, look, look, I've been working on my mental strength for so many years because I've always been a very nervous and anxious person and hesitant about trying things. But mm. a lot of it's, came because I um, wanted to go overseas and see David mm -hmm. in the Netherlands mm -hmm. and I couldn't get on a plane so I did you know I read books and did mantras and sought advice and did some courses and things like that so I think luckily that um, I had already started that process mm -hmm. in in changing my life into getting out there and doing things, you know, and I worked up till I was um, 68, 69 um, because I didn't want to retire. I didn't want to find all those things that everyone says, you know, I had I had a good job, I had a great job, good money coming in, all those things. But, um, yeah, no, I had been putting those things in place. I still don't know. I didn't react when the doctor told me, like, I would have expected 10 years ago, mm. no way. I would have burst into tears, come home, got into a fetal position, and that's all you would have seen of me. Mm. And I didn't do any of those things. I didn't do what I thought maybe I would have. So somewhere along the line, thankfully, um, the, my son went overseas, and the only way I could see him was to get on that plane, and that was going to take mm, such strength. But um, And it worked out fine. So I just I just don't know. I I I wanted to live. You're right, Adam. I either would die mm. from the from the leukemia or die from trying or not trying. There wasn't really any choice in there. I no. I just wanted to live. Yeah, and and we, you know, I I've got a great life. I've got a wonderful family and grandchildren. Great circle of friends. I'm happier now than I ever was. So, it, yeah, despite COVID. And I can't say that I know what COVID was like last year. I um, <laughs> no. I didn't really, I didn't experience it. The only times was I would say to Les, can you bring me in some tissues, a box of tissues? And you're saying, darling, do you know how hard that is for me to get? And I'm going, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, you lose you lose your taste. I lost oh, I don't know, 17 kilos or something. You can't eat because you don't have any taste buds. But ice blocks or something. And I said, look, just bring me in some pineapple ice blocks, some fruit, frosty fruits. And he went, he brought me in um, watermelon. And I said, but I wanted pineapple. <laughs> he said, do you know how hard it is? I said, oh, I, you know, and he, and yeah. he was telling me stories about people running around for toilet paper. So I, I don't know any of that. I don't know COVID last year. Yeah. I just don't. Yeah. yeah. So it must have been horrible, horrible, horrible for everybody. But... Um, my, it was just stories to me. Even, you know, I I came out really well after the first cycle of of chemo. My white cells went back into place, but that's not the end of it because what they do is just so it's not a fluke. Um, Dr. Bryant then tells you that there's uh, three more sessions that he'll put you through. Wow. So I had to get my head around that one. Yeah. But the little glint was that um, he could give you the chemo, 
to do at home. And so ah. uh, I pushed for that because I didn't want to be in hospital. Yeah. Um, and it meant that I was hooked up to a machine for six days, get, get the chemo one day, go mm. back to the next day, take it off, go back the next day. And it was the same process, but a slightly uh, less fearsome type of chemo. Yeah. But it was going to do exactly the same thing. And once again, I wouldn't have any resistance. So I was going to be the exception to the rule. He kept telling me that you would get um, fevers. And fevers meant back to hospital because I had an infection. Yeah. But it wasn't going to happen to me. I was going to be 10 foot tall and bulletproof. But of course it did. So mm. each of the cycles, I ended up back in hospital twice for each cycle. And um, they were pretty unpleasant times. Um, but look, you know, I, they were then, and this is now, and I'm now in remission for nine months, and that's all I can think about. I um, I can recite what happened to somebody, uh, but that's like I'm telling you about someone else, not just me. I don't I don't picture myself into any of those situations. Um, I've worked very hard to block those things out. They just happen, but each one of them was for a reason so but even that in itself i mean that's incredible mental strength to be able to go well, well that's in the past yes I, I, that's done you know I, i've done it i've lived through it um yes. i need to i need to keep moving forward i mean that's you know that's the very essence of mindfulness that's the very essence of yeah. living in the moment yeah. you know not dwelling on those things that have happened thank you for saying that yeah it it it, it gives me pleasure to know that um, well, my younger son, Craig, says that I must be Dr. Bryant's superstar, you know, yeah. being 70 and coming through it. And and it was a little bit of a joke to start with, but he really believes it. And you can't imagine what how that makes me feel, that my younger son feels that his mother is so, so a superstar. Yeah. And, um, and my son, Michael, says, you know, mum, you've got the strength there. I just don't know how you did it. And, you know, he, he got to visit me more. Um, than any of them, of course, and sometimes he snuck in against um, the rules and regulations as Michael can do. And um, but you know, he, he just yeah he he was there at certain times, so he saw the really yucky bits that that the others didn't get to see. But um, I I always thought that I was the strong one looking after them. But I now know that you know my three sons were just there and sending me their strength and. It was a terrible time for Les, a, a, a really, really hard time. It was his life was on hold with COVID. I now know what that's like. <laughs> and all of, all of the things that he was used to in life um, were disappearing, but they were all just stories to me. So um, I think I think feel a bit bad that perhaps COVID's gone on for another 12 months just so that I know what everybody experienced. <laughs> So, oh, radio Jan, you didn't, you didn't get a turn. Okay, we're just going to do this all again so you can understand. Yes. yes. Well, I, yeah, I jokingly say that. But but as I said to you, Adam, I, I don't like lockdown. I don't like all of these things, but I feel differently about it to everyone else. I don't take chances. I don't take risks. I wear my mask and all the rest of it. But, you know, I don't sit around the house all day. I get in the car, go out, have some breakfast, take it to the park. Uh, go for a walk, um, back to my 5K walk on Saturday mornings, thanks to my son, Michael, who, yep. you know, they don't like me to do any of these things on my own, and he persistently uh, keeps up with that. And the mental the mental um, 
positiveness I get out of that Saturday knowing that um, it's it's a ne- nearly like it used to be. Mm. And um, I can't see my friends, all of those things, but I talk to them and, um, but yeah, just, just getting back some of the things that I couldn't do before. Yes, I, I do have uh, naps in the afternoon, which is a bit strange for me, but my body says, you know, it's time to have a rest and, um, mm. and I do that. I give in. I don't like it. Mm. Um, but everyone says, oh, well, you know, you're 71 and you normally have a rest. And I go, well, okay, but I, you know, I've still got a bit of catching up to do. So um, you, you rested for the last year. You've, you're good. Let's get on I with did. life. I did, Adam, and I don't think um, uh, you know. Look, I, I still, I there was some so many positives along the way. I didn't get to see people, but I used my uh, phone. I text people. I sent messages. A couple of times, I reached out to friends that I'd lost contact with, but that had um, cancer themselves or one of my friend's mum had leukaemia about five months diagnosed ahead of me. And um, it was wonderful. The people that came back and stayed in touch with me and gave me those updates and gave me some tips and, yeah, I couldn't have done it without them, yeah. So there were the the nice messages, but there were the the helpful ones, the, um, yeah. And, And if you ask my family... Uh, at you know three or four in the morning when I couldn't sleep, I would be online doing online shopping. I've so, heard um, about the online shopping yes. addiction. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. Yes, yes, <laughs> I'm guilty. Yes, yes, it was uh, those hours in the morning that uh, I think were the loneliest. Mm. Through the day, there'd be nurses bustling around and cleaners, and mm. and of course, you know, when I did get to go into rooms with other patients, there'd be someone to talk to. I found those invaluable. I've made some of the most amazing friends out of some of the patients I met along the way. Yeah. Um, and we stay in touch. One of them um, lives in Michigan, in America. Oh, wow. And she'd had, I think, kidney uh, kidney and lung transplant, Was happened to be out here in wow. visiting um, a friend and got sick. Uh, and so... She stays in touch and she gives me the most positive messages. It's just wonderful. So you can't do it on your own. You have to you have to have help and now I just want to give back as much as I can to anybody. Well that that brings us to this the the, the next part which is you yeah. know we talked about you being one of Dr. Bryant's superstars and I think you are. Yes. And I know yes. I know that's how Craig describes you and I know he has he said does. to me, you know, that the strength that you showed through that process is was just blew him. He always knew you were strong, but he goes, "I was blown away." But um, you, so you got through this. You got you. You're now part of the eighty percent. You yes. know, you survived, and um, you're. Are, are you like a? Are you almost like a medical case study for them now? Are you a? Um, is this a? Craig says that, but I thought, you know, I've just laughed at him, and but. Dr. Bryant um, is, uh, yes, he's the most amazing man. Not not your touchy-feely type of doctor, just no. practical the way he is. But I can tell when I go in and my visits were um, once I'd reached you know, remission, which was last October. No. Up till then, it's uh, three times a week visiting the hospital and they, they would tell you whether you needed blood or plasma. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was um, a big thing. But in October... Um, I'd finished all of that. I was actually in remission, and 
They don't tell you that you, it's forever. I don't ask. I never have. Mm. I don't need to know because I never thought that I would get leukemia. So they don't know. But Dr. Bryant seems to be really happy with um, my progress. Um, I think it surprised him a little bit that I have came through it as well as I did. Yeah. And I think as positively as I did. And, you know, I thank him all the time for that and the team, and I got to know some wonderful people. But the fact that um, about oh, three months ago, out of the blue, I got a phone call from him, and um, which was really surprising, and he said he, he didn't want to, he wanted to ask me something. He didn't know how I'd feel about it, but that he had another patient who was similar age, similar personality, similar fitness, who he really thought could go through this chemo treatment, mm. But she was wavering as to whether she should or she shouldn't. Mm -hmm. He wondered if I would talk to this lady, Patty is her name, and tell her of my experience and just to see. And, um, you know, he said, I'll keep your privacy. And I said, look, I don't really care about that. But I'm, he said, I've never done this before. I've never asked anybody mm. to share. He said, but I just felt that you might have been the right person. So mm. I said, okay, that's fine. So he gave Patty my phone number and she rang. And um, it, it's, yeah, it, it, it has been as good for me as it has for Patty, but she's just amazing. Mm. And she's gone through her first treatment. She's in remission. Mm. She's got to go back for two. She's not having three. She's decided. They have decided now, mm. I must be the test case, that they only need two follow-ups, not three. Right. Yes, yeah, so um, uh, she should be in having her second one. But she's actually come through the chemo. Um, she asks me questions, but what I tell her is she needs to ask them questions. She needs to ask what they're doing, why they're doing it, how they're mm. doing it, mm. and don't just, you know, listen, um, you know, we're going to do this and that. And... I noticed a difference as we talk, Adam, that uh, she starts questioning and she starts asking me what are neutrophils and how do you know how many days it's going to be and um, basically how you feel about it. And um, I shared something funny with Patty and no one, no one who has gone through, hasn't gone through chemo would understand and I just said to her, it was really funny, I kept saying, counting the days and 28 days is like a, a monthly cycle sort of thing. Mm. Um, when you should start feeling that your white cells are coming back in. And I woke up, I think it was day 29, and I felt amazing. I couldn't tell mm -hmm. what it was. I couldn't explain. I said to the nurses, something happened overnight and I feel different. I feel stronger in my body. Mm. I've clear in my head. And um, they kind of looked at me. And and when the the, the doctor came in, he said I had 0 0.1 of, of neutrophils and I knew that, you know, I could feel a difference and mm. but no one else would understand that. Yeah. And I shared that with Patty and would you believe the exact same thing happened to her. She she said, I get what you've told me. Thank you for telling me. She said, I can't tell anyone else how I feel, but I knew this morning that something different had happened. So you know, that's the kind of thing that, um, yeah, that that I wish I had have had a Jan in my life. No one else went through exactly what I did. But, yeah, so look, I, I love helping Patty. Um, she's she's um, 
a very, very active lady skiing and she used to be a horse trainer and she just said, I can't wait till this is over and we can see each other. I'm going to take you out for lunch and, you know, we will be in each other's lives for the for forever for how long we've got. And um, and I just said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that I could help. And she came back and she said, you are the wind beneath my wings. <laughs> and I thought it was a little bit... <laughs> bit hokey but it was just uh, yeah i can was... i've got bet midler singing in my head even as we speak now yeah so adam yeah <laughs> have, I... you, have you not met her face to face have you no wow no no but what we've done is we've taken photos of each other yeah. and she had lovely long blonde hair right yeah and um yeah so we've taken photos and i took photos of what my hair looked like when it was coming back and uh i i chose not to look like a, a a chemo person, I I had people give me scarves and caps, mm, mm. but I actually got wigs and yep. the the Jan that you know that I know and I want everyone to know is I wanted to be finished with hair and nails and and Patty got that she actually ordered some wigs too when I showed her what I had so um, yeah I've got so. some here I've got some here you could have had I've got a couple. <laughs> Floating around some various oh, things that I've done through the years. Yeah, isn't it funny? I, 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 a friend of ours had uh, breast cancer, mm. and like honestly, the the generosity came from the most amazing places. She just rang and said, "Jan, I didn't like wearing a wig, but I've got one. Mm. Um, it's COVID. I know I can't bring it into you, but could I drop it over?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." I didn't even ask what it was, what it looked like, or whatever. Mm. And she came and she had a mask. I said, oh, Diane, come in. And, and again, she's another one now. I share stories. But the wig looked amazing. I I surprised Les because I popped it on and walked out. And the look on his face said he could see me as as the person back, that some of me was back again, that mm. I was on track. So Yeah. And and that going back to that question, I mean, do you wish you had a Jan? Would a Jan have helped you through that process? Or Yes. What, yes. what difference would that have made? Um, there was many times when I felt um, alone mm. and um, not not lonely as such. I guess I did. There were lonely moments, but alone where I just needed to. The doctors would give you um, the answers, but they would give you the worst case scenario of absolutely everything. And a lot of the things they told me I didn't experience. Mm. Um, and a lot of the patients that I uh, shared with had different, um, uh, two of them lost their sight as soon as they got sick. So mm. others, uh, Patty actually was uh, bedridden for three weeks. She said she literally could not get out of bed. And that's why when Dr. Um, Bryant suggested the stronger chemo, she said, how could I possibly do that when I am already so sick? And I think that's why he needed me as that extra person. But, um, mm. yeah, I uh, I probably found Jan in a lot of people and they were called Angie and, and Polly and uh, Denise, all of those people. But I guess, yeah, I, I'm just glad that and, – and that's what I would like to do, continue to give back. Mm. So um, Dr. Bryant gave me the idea and when I am stronger, um, I'm thinking of – maybe going and volunteering at Liverpool Hospital. Mm. Um, apparently you can contact a coordinator there and yep. maybe do something. So maybe I can be a, 
a jam to other people. But um, and I've also, uh, for the very first time, this called Light the Light, and it's a leukemia foundation. And uh, on the 16th of October, you can um, fundraise mm. and light um, a lantern for whatever stage you're in, whether you're a cancer survivor or mm. you've got someone going through it or you've lost someone in the different lights. And um, I've never done that before. I've never asked people to sponsor me or done anything. And yesterday I got an email to say that my goal was 500 and I've reached 566. So yeah. I must do a message today to my family and friends. And Adam, what's interesting is I got donations from distance friends and um, from people that I didn't expect mm. just just because I ask. Yeah, yeah. And I can't explain how wonderful that is. Yeah. You know, Les, Les had joked and said, oh, well, if you don't quite make it, you know, I'll put some money in. And I went, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll, you know, we'll do that. Yeah. But, um, and he was just as excited as me when he said, you made your goal, there's an email. And, yeah, so... Yeah. Of course, my three sons were top of the list, of course. Yes, they have to be. Uh, yes. My, so. my, my one and only experience with the Liverpool um, Liverpool Hospital Oncology Ward yeah. is, um, and you will believe this, there are photos, I can send you one and I'll show you. Um, yeah. When I, I had a very good friend of mine when I was 19, his mum was diagnosed with leukaemia. And she was oh. in. She was in Liverpool Hospital. She's still. She's still alive. That was twenty six years ago. She's still. Um, <gasps> still surviving and still battling along. She's. It's um, wonderful news. Yeah, um, and uh, she. So she. We were going to a party. We were going to a drag party, and um, <laughs> we had right. my, myself and my four mates at the time had all dressed in full drag, and she wanted to see us. And this is nineteen ninety. Five, so pre all of the stuff, you know, nothing, no, no internet or any of that kind of stuff no. at those stages. So she asked if we would go into the hospital, oh. and they allowed us to go into the oncology ward. And so there we are, you know, probably one guy about Craig's build, so a little bit smaller, but but yep. three other guys, all my size. <laughs> In full right. in full drag, and I was wearing a gold lame kind of dress with a blonde wig. In wow. full drag, walking through the oncology unit of um, ward <laughs> of, Liv of Liverpool Hospital. These poor people. I mean, you, you you can see them. You know, they're sitting there and they're in bed and they're sick and they're you know their heads yes. and them and the bald and and you just yes. see these people kind of look and go like, just double take like, what the hell is that? <laughs> Wonderful. Well, the upside of that was, yeah, my mate went in to visit his mum a couple of days later and they said, well, number one, we were pulling bloody feathers out of the place all over the joint, feather, because we all had feather boas. But she yeah. said, you know, what it did for the spirits of the, the patients was incredible. Yes. They they oh. talked about it for days afterwards. Yes. Like, you know, we, we we thought we were seeing things. We thought, oh, this medication, what's it oh. doing? But they, she it said it was incredible. wonderful. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and, it's it's you take anything and everything that yeah. comes your way. And, yes, and that, look, there's not enough beer in the world to make me want to sleep with the female version of me. I can tell you, that. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible, but it was it oh, was so it much been fun. Such fun, yeah. yeah. And I, and I yeah. mean, like, I will send you the photo. It was full drag. Good. We no, were... I didn't have anything like that. I'm, I I feel like I've missed out now. <laughs> <laughs> So look, we're 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 closely approaching that one hour limit. Um, before 
Your last, I know, it goes quick. People don't think, people are amazed that it just goes bang like that before you know it. We're at 52 minutes already, 53 nearly. Um, Before we go, I I guess what I want to, the thing I want to do is, is, you know, what's, and it might not be one thing, it might be multiple things, but what's your go-to in terms of when, when you were, when it was dark, when you were like, oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I've got the fight left in me anymore. What was the thing that got you through? What what was the go-to for you? Oh, oh, that's an easy one. My family. Yeah. 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 You, you just you had seven little on. seven little faces that you needed to see again as well. Seven didn't little you? faces. Well, yes. At one stage, I only had six little faces, but I knew that I was going to have seven faces. But look, my three sons were my strength, and you know, like, yeah, I've I've watched them so far make themselves into the most wonderful young men and young fathers and I couldn't be prouder of them and and you know Les and I continually pat ourselves on the back and say we're blessed to have turned out three young men and look you know they're not perfect they weren't perfect growing up but they've turned out to be special people and I just didn't want to miss a moment of seeing what they were going to come up with next and and what the children were going to come up with next and and I knew that me being unwell was hurting the the grandchildren that were old enough to know and understand. And um, yeah, no, no, I, I'm I'm selfish in saying, and I don't leave my husband out of this. But but yeah, thinking about the, the three boys um, that I'd come so far with them, but there was still so much more for me to do. And um, yeah, I just wanted to do things with my life. So I guess I did a lot of um, imagining myself doing these things, the things that I want to do, you know, travelling and going overseas, getting on a plane that used to scare me. And, mm. um, yeah, I, a lot of a lot of uh, mind times. Funnily enough, everyone says, oh, you had a book and you had your tablet and you had your phone and you had TV, and I couldn't content myself with any of those things tv was just mindless um i think my text messages maybe spotify towards the end when i worked out how to work that that helped but they they i couldn't fill my time with what i would normally find for comfort it was more my thoughts my imaginations i guess adam in the long run it was just reminding myself how far i'd come and that my journey hadn't been for no reason, it got me where I was, got me through. And now for the last nine months, I drive everyone crazy when, you know, they'll ring up and say, how are you going, Mum? And I say, look, I am fantastic. Yeah. And, and it drives them crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because this lockdown is so much better than the last one for you. I mean, yes. you didn't experience the last one, but you... I didn't. <laughs> I didn't experience the last one, but every day is is, um, you know, I, I still have my worries and, and concerns and yeah. those sorts of things. But, no, I, I have a different measuring stick to everyone else and I don't know how I got myself through it. I just I just did. I, I'm, I'm not the person that I thought I was. I must have become the person that I wanted to and it's sort of happened. It's been a gradual process, yeah. There's a... But I couldn't do that. Couldn't do that without my family and my friends. I have the most amazing array of friends that anybody could want and a great life. 
um, yeah, I'm I'm just wishing that I wasn't 71 and that everybody counts, well, you know, maybe you've only got about 10 more years and I think, oh, my God, I can't fit everything in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said before you wanted, you're going to live to 100. I do. It's yeah. always been a goal. And my, daughter, my beautiful daughter, Nortesian, because I said, oh, my God, she said, Jen, don't worry, I'll look after you in your old age. And then I said, but I plan to be 100. She said, well, you should have told me that first. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't sign up for 100. <laughs> 85, 90? <laughs> yeah, it's become a, a bit of a funny joke. Yeah. But it's, yeah, my mindset says that's what I plan to do, live to be 100. I, yeah, yeah. I, I love the I quote. See what everyone does. Yeah, I love the quote, and I think this probably describes you um, in some way. That um, bad times don't create strong people; they reveal strong people. Yeah, I like that. You know, yes. Um, and and yes. you kind of have always have it in you, but it, it's that time where it needs to come out that you go. All right, here it is. I'm just going to get on with this. And and overwhelmingly, as I sit and listen to you talk, I mean, I I think you're probably one of the most mentally strong people that I've ever encountered. And without, oh, thank you. And and it's the truth because you know to go to manage what you manage to process what you process to do what you did in the last eighteen months is incredible. Yeah. Um. You know, but it, yeah, maybe it just was always there. And yeah. maybe, maybe it was. Yeah. I. I... I, I can't believe that I had leukemia. I, that's still, uh, I can say it to myself, yeah. I can think about it, but I still can't believe that I actually had leukemia. Now, I don't know why. That just doesn't, it, it was never a thought, it was never planned. I was never going to get anything that was life-threatening. No. It just, no, no. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was a test sometimes, and I share with you, Adam, maybe I think that I was given a bit of a test to see if I had come as far as I wanted to come, mm. I don't know. But I'm, I'm sure glad I don't have leukemia anymore. So, <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's a fabulous note to end on. <laughs> I reckon that's probably where we can leave it. Thank you, I Jan. I do have hair back, which is yeah, really, really, really important. <laughs> I love your new hair as well. I think it's great. I think I it looked, too, came out really funky. I think it looked really cool. Yeah. Wow. No, it has. It's um, yeah, it's a bit of fun. Yeah, yeah. All right. Oh. Thank you, Jan. Thank you, Adam.